What are you doing? I'm going up to Smith College tomorrow. Why? It's my alma mater. Reunion? No, the Women's Studies Department is having a panel on resurrecting the ERA. Who else is on the panel? Rebecca Walker, Gloria Steinem, Ann Coulter, Naomi Wolf. You know, something like 40% of all women oppose the ERA. And in my entire life, I've never met one of them. Ansie Hayes, nice to meet you. You're not. Yes. You're not. Yes. You're not, you're not, you're not one of those people. Sam, if by those people you're referring to Episcopalians... You're going back to Smith College, the cradle of feminism, to argue in opposition to the Equal Rights Amendment? And get some decent pizza, yeah. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex. What's the joke? It's not a joke. It's the Equal Rights Amendment. When did that come back? Read what these guys Shall have. Shall not be abridged or denied on account of sex. Very dangerous language. This must be stopped. What could possibly be your problem with the ERA? It's redundant. Why are we talking about the ERA? She's doing a thing. Yeah, but it's not back or anything, though. Is it? Certainly not if Phyllis Schlafly over here has her way. Look. It's redundant? I'm a low-maintenance lady. I got the 14th Amendment. I'm fine. Oh, we believe in the ERA. We'll go get him. How can you have an objection because to something that says... Because it's humiliating. A new amendment we vote on declaring that I am equal under the law to a man, I am mortified to discover there's reason to believe I wasn't before. I am a citizen of this country. I am not a special subset in need of your protection. I do not have to have my rights handed down to me by a bunch of old white men. The same Article 14 that protects you protects me, and I went to law school just to make sure. Very funny, bitch. You must always have faith in yourself, self. Hello and welcome to Beyond Bechdel, the podcast that looks at the relationship between women and film. This week I'm speaking to Susan Hansen. She's a writer and journalist for the BBC and she also specialises in film and music. Susan is such a lovely, wonderful person to speak to and she's also, in this conversation, taught me a great deal about intersectionality, even though she didn't know what it meant. Please don't worry if you don't know what intersectionality means, because I didn't until recently, but now I'm here hopefully to educate us all more. Intersectionality is a theory coined by UCLA professor Kimberly Crenshaw. The essence of Crenshaw's theory is that people do not experience their forms of oppression in isolation. So you may find that you're discriminated against because you're a woman and you may find out that you're discriminated against because of your race or the colour of your skin or if you have a disability or for a variety of other reasons. It's hard to neatly separate all of these different forms of oppression and therefore what often happens is at certain points they intersect which means a white woman like me might be discriminated against because I'm a woman 
but a woman who is a person of colour may have a completely different experience with the intersection of being repressed because of her race and because of her gender. Susan's conversation has taught me so much about the intersections of oppression that have occurred to her in her life as a South Korean woman who grew up in Denmark and is now working in the film and music industry. I hope I'm able to pass some of my knowledge on through this podcast. Now to the conversation. I'd like to start with a question where I asked you this off mic and uh, you bristled a little, so I thought that maybe we should have this on mic. So you said to me, uh, do I need to be a feminist in order to take part in this podcast? And then I said to you, why are you not? And now I'd like you to kind of answer that. I have always kind of thought of myself as not being a feminist. It's not that I don't sympathise with the ideas of it. It's not that I don't have sympathy and, and like women. Um, I have just always felt it's about being a person. It's about being an individual. And that kind of goes above being a feminist, in my in my own opinion and belief. Um, I guess it's a kind of like, it's related to the kind of a humanist idea. And there's also, in, in my own life personally, there's been things that have, has made me have to prioritise other issues and, and whether I, I'm a feminist or not and what that means and women's rights, etc., etc. I don't know if that... I hope that makes sense, but it's kind of like... It's a, it's a very sort of personal thing for me in a way, but it's not that I, I... I often think about feminism. Actually, on a daily basis, I think about feminism. And I know a lot of... I know a lot of women who say, well, I am a feminist. How could... You know, there's no doubt about it. I've always known that. And how can you not? How can you sit there and say that you that you aren't a feminist? Um, Do you have an issue with the word? Is is that where because you're talking as if all the tenets of feminism you agree with and you support? And I'm always surprised when I hear anybody say I'm not a feminist because I just think if you're looking at just on a very base level mm-hmm. of do I want women and men to be equal? in life, in the opportunities they're given, in the workplace, in society, I think you'd have to be crazy, particularly as a woman in 2017, to say no. But I also know that the word feminism and feminist now have these very negative connotations. Um, They're often preceded with angry. And I was wondering whether that's part of what your issue is? No. I okay. Wouldn't say, <laughs> I wouldn't say it is. Oh, I mean, that you're, psych- you're, psychiatrist. I agree school. with you that, that it does bear <laughs> certain connotations for a lot of people and, um, and some people connected with women hating men as well. Mm. I agree with that. But it's, it's, not, the, it's not that um, idea of... It's not that I have a problem with being associated with the word being a feminist. I just don't think that I am feminist. <gasps> okay, well, then we need to get into more detail then. Yeah. So do you think there are some parts of life where mm-hmm. men 
are superior to women and deserve to be treated as such? There are... I believe that there are areas where men are always going to be stronger, but like, but equally, there's always there's going to be areas where women are far stronger, a lot stronger. Um, so that in itself, for me, that kind of creates a, a, a sense of um, equality, actually, almost. And because it's different skills, it's different qualities that men and women have. And I think the idea that you're actually having to say that you are as good as men in a certain area, if you aren't, it just feels wrong to me. What about if I was to say, could you countenance that one woman could be as good as any of the other men in a certain discipline? Of course. And there are areas where that is the case, a lot of areas. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be every single woman Mm. because I think you're I think you're right in the sense that I don't think we need to be doing everything perfectly or better or as well as a man just in order Mm. to get some kind of false equality but at the same time I worry if you say that you're not a feminist then that might be read by somebody that you're saying no I don't think women are as good as men I would be very I would be disappointed if people interpret if someone interpreted what I'm saying that way to be honest because it's not about being not being as good as a woman and that's um, my sorry that's mm. my phrasing as well because I'm looking at it in terms of mm. good and yeah, bad yeah, so yeah. I apologize for that no, that's okay. what about equalism have you heard of this yeah and actually that's very interesting you're talking you're mentioning the word equal equalism because that is something that I'm I feel very very passionate about in my life in every aspect of my life and that is something that kind of really kind of touches on some of the personal problems well some of the problems I've had in life um don't know if you want me to talk about one of these if you're happy um, to I think it would be really helpful yeah I mean one of the big one of the very big issues for me in my throughout my life actually has been racism right and for because and that sort of plays in with this idea of whether I'm a feminist or not as well because that's something that I've just had to focus on a lot more it's been a huge deal to be honest with you throughout my life from like childhood when I was at school up until now I mean last night there was an incident where an, an incident last night about racism um so sorry so so it is a huge deal and and so i've had conversations with people where i don't know how much detail you want me to go into here but i've had many conversations with people where they have argued with me they've got very upset when i've said i'm sorry feminism it comes it's very it it, it's just not as important to me it has not really been an issue to me whether I wasn't given the same rights as a woman as as some some male but but racism that has played such a huge huge part of me in my life it's it's a very very personal thing actually have you heard of intersectionality no I don't know about that (laughs) (laughs) it's a term that I've only recently um come up against but um no sorry come up against makes sound really bad no I think it's a really great thing I think that it's very easy for me to sit here and talk about feminism I'm a white Caucasian middle class person who lives in London who has lived in Mm. the UK my entire life yeah and um I think that if you're Asian or if you're a person of colour, if uh, if you're disabled, there are all these other possible areas of discrimination that may well feed into and intersect with your feelings about 
feminism and so so my experiences and what I want may inadvertently be coming just from my position of where I felt discrimination whereas it sounds like to you you might have thought primarily that race was the problem mm. and you were yeah and think and things happened there and so you you think I want to deal with that before I can even start to think about whether it's because yeah. I'm a woman yeah yeah because um for me I, that's what, what you're saying there kind of really does something to me because um it kind of expresses how I feel in, in a way um this is so interesting for me because I only see it through one filter. Fair enough. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And I don't. I'm I don't. Yeah. I'm only seeing it from my own filters. Yeah, well. but I but I like mm. hearing about yours mm. because yours isn't as talked about as much. In terms of the feminism versus racism, because I feel that that is almost you're kind of that's almost what we're discussing here. What? Which one is bigger? That's how I. Oh, the or. What's the experience you have mm. at, at the intersection yeah, of yeah. both of those issues? Yeah, because you yeah. live in a world where yeah. you are, you know, are both those things. You know, you're not the white mm. majority. You're not the patriarchy. No. So no. you know, you are a woman, and you're South Korean, and yeah. do you get in treated? Terms of what I've, yeah. In terms of what I've experienced explicitly, as you've said kind of earlier, there could be things going on that I'm not aware of. That I'm where I'm being maybe experiencing discrimination without knowing it. But in terms of what I have experienced explicitly, people talking to me, people saying to me uh, things, shouting at me, that is that that's where racism has been, you know, has definitely been the biggest issue by far. Um, and what can I say? It's like being a woman is a category, I accept that. And and being an, an ethnic minority is also a is obviously a category as well experiencing um male chauvinism or discrimination um in terms of what job you are given etc etc mm -hmm. and as opposed to being called um being shouted at on the street for being um from south korea which is what i am for me those two things are not well, one is quite... Um, yeah, one's more of an, one immediate, kind of like an immediate threat. threat yeah. And the other one is much more... Um, yeah, an overview of an society. An overview of society, a yeah. of society, certain yeah. views in society. Yeah. No um, one's coming up to you and saying, oh, you're a you're girl. A woman. Yeah. <laughs> go yeah. Leave, can you leave the place? Yeah, go and have a baby and have a period somewhere. Yeah. Before you can even start thinking about mm. whether the media industry yeah, yeah. is properly representing you or giving you a good chance yeah, yeah. you need to first think about mm. the original racial stereotypes and, and how that might be yeah affecting yeah, you yeah yeah and so far i mean throughout my life it's a reoccurring theme and it has been affecting me a lot um do you think though sorry if this is uncomfortable yeah, yeah. then uh, please, you know, yeah, we can yeah. stop. Um, mm. When when there are racial slurs mm. or things happening yeah, to you, yeah, though, yeah. are they are they also though made to you in respect of you being a woman? Like, would you be called a bitch or something, or would it just be about something awful, like go yeah, home or you don't belong of, um, here? Or yeah, 
that there's um, I've experienced both actually. Yeah. So some, I mean, one that I experienced very recently was was actually combining the two, to be honest. Yeah. And then, but mostly it tends to be purely race, sort of. Yes. Well, what they are actually saying is is purely to do with the, the race. The problem is yeah. the race. It's the race. It's not. Yeah, it's not but but yeah, and that's um, and that kind of. Mm. makes sense because not not that I'm not agreeing it in any way but I'm saying I think that that's a more base level of rate of of discrimination is to just base it on your race particularly in the world we're in now where where there's lots of propaganda and negative connotations Mm. um you know all the Ku Klux Klan stuff in America there's a world where people are saying oh if you don't look exactly the same as me then you're different whereas the problem with um and that is horrific (laughs) i just like to make very clear but the problem um, the issues with being a woman are that exactly what we said earlier which is that are we being hindered is the world not working for us and we don't even know like yeah and and that's and that's the struggle you have is that you're being discriminated against potentially on two different levels. So, <laughs> I, mean, I guess the other category is, if I may bring it in, I guess, is yeah. actually living and being in the UK is class. I mean, yeah, it's a. Uh, I have seen that's a, I mean that's another area where I've I have probably felt. Um, I have not I have not experienced discrimination openly in any way, shape, or form, that would be wrong to say. But the kind of the idea I mean the kind of the whole class system um idea, which is so dominant, still so dominant in British society. Yeah. I've seen so much of that shining through in every situation of my work in life. And that is another thing that can be it has it has annoyed me rather than affected me. It has annoyed me consistently throughout my employment in the UK actually. It's so, hard to deal with. And have you always worked in the media? No, I've worked in different sectors. I've worked in energy, I've worked in publishing, I've worked for um, some, um, a charity as well. Yeah. So it's been different sectors, but there is something that's just been a recurrent theme. And how has it manifested itself? It manifests itself because a lot of the jobs I was, have been doing have been more junior roles, mm-hmm. and there's always I've always felt there was um, a tendency to make you feel, make me feel as if because I was doing a junior role, you're not entitled to speak out, you're not entitled to contribute in a way that someone in a more senior position is. There's a lack of interest, there's a lack of engagement. With people who are doing more junior roles, because um, they're not really seen to be important enough. Mm-hmm. But that, well, frankly, in a team, everyone is important. That's the truth. Yes, but that, that sounds like it's less about class and more about where you are in the pecking order in, in the work situation. It's not... It, or, or have you experienced something My where it's... My theory yeah. is a theory. Yeah, My yeah. theory is that actually that perception is a reflection of class, British class uh-huh. society. That's where that comes from. Right. Oh, yes, I see yeah. what you're saying. So you're saying because we're so keen to group people yeah, yeah, from yeah, birth exactly, based yeah, on um, yeah. uh, whether they're an aristocrat or not, what the, yeah. what their bank balance is yeah, or what their family yeah. name and is. What their education or background yeah, is. Yeah, then, um, then I was going to say, then it goes into what's their education and then it moves into... Um, 
how you sound I'm guessing yeah, maybe as well or yeah that kind of thing um mm. and so you're saying that it's almost like the workplace becomes a, a, yeah. a mini hierarchy yeah. a mini class system well that's what I believe truly believe I mean I believe it is actually reflection of it but it's not something that obviously I can just go around and say but it is actually what it is and I, I feel most people don't understand it actually that that's what it is that's going on because they're so ingrained in the whole system yeah so they don't really see it I would say that, I mean, um, that, that, that's one aspect of Scandinavian society that I love, to be quite honest. I'm not saying there isn't someone who, in, in, in an organisation, we don't have a, a managing director, chairman. Of course, we, we have all of those things in yeah. Scandinavia as well. But there is just a much greater um, understanding and kind of openness and, and an idea that everyone is entitled to speak out and contribute. And if you are a junior member of uh, the team... Your, your opinion and your contribution is actually as valuable as someone who's at the very top. I mean, that's the, ba- that's the basic, for me, the basic difference between Scandinavia and the UK. There's uh, meritocracy being yeah. the only way to divide people. Yeah. Do you think that's reflected in the media then, the films and the TV programmes that are made? I feel that it probably is. I wonder if maybe now we can talk more about yeah. your experience of people who look and act like you on film. Maybe that's something to talk about. Do you, who, who do you, mm. do you have role models? Yes. So in terms of film and TV, I mean, there's a couple of, um, there's a couple of directors who, um, who, I, who I really, really admire. Um, one of them is um, is a director called Adam Curtis. Yes. Who is, I mean, he's obviously a huge, he's quite a big deal in the BBC and also for, he's done a lot for BBC iPlayer. Mm-hmm. And Plug. Plug, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, um, I really admire his work and I really admire the kind of approach that he takes to filmmaking because it is, the way I see it is deeply unconventional, really, what he does. Um, I've watched a couple of things and I felt very uncomfortable, yeah. but I think that's the point. That is the point, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he wants you to feel deeply uncomfortable. Yeah. He wants you to really think about what goes on in the world. There's an argument that he is almost like he's taking on the whole world, saying, talking about everything that's wrong in, in the world, which is a big deal to talk about all of that, everything that's wrong in the world. But I like the fact how, he, I like how he's very ambitious and, I like to. I like. I, I like the fact, fact that he sees the bigger picture. He's not just focusing on one country. He's not just focusing focusing on one topic. There's just so much going on. So you like his macro approach? Yeah, I do. That's exactly it. Yeah, I like. I love that. Um, it's very political. There's a lot of history involved. Um, but then it's quite creative. It's very creative as well. That there's um, his use of music is, is absolutely unique as well and he's got his own little um he's got his own uh, the, the kind of he's got preferred artists and he uses the, some of the same music again and again some of the same artists again and again nine inch nails being one of them mm-hmm. um and i think their music fits perfectly to that discomfort does, as well as good yeah. as it is there's always like really low thumping bass and yeah. things like that so that's i kind right, of i feel yeah. that as part yeah. of it yeah He's um and he's an interesting character. I mean, I do happen to know him as well, but uh, and and he is very interesting to talk to. Do you think that's part of it as well? Because some people say if they meet their heroes, 
then they go off then, but you have a kind of symbiotic relationship. Yeah, well, so. I had sort of read, I mean, before I started watching his films, I had read about him and thought, well, that sounds like something I would I would find stimulating, something I would find really interesting and entertaining for that matter as well. And then I started watching his films, and I, I mean, I got really, really into it. Um, and I just then wanted to know more and more. And then I, I happened to then get a job in iPlayer, which was nothing to do with my... I mean, like my my sort of passion for Adam Curtis's film, but um, probably it was obviously an interesting. Though. It was obviously interesting then actually being and working in the team, and then actually getting then getting to meet him, because actually a lot of the people who worked in the team they never got to meet. But I got to meet him. I got to know him, and I got to do bits of work for him, and that was fascinating. But yeah, and, and he is very um, he's very interesting to talk to, which is not a surprise, I guess. Um, well, I don't know. Some people are... He's like an almost an auteur, and sometimes they can be very difficult. <laughs> May I ask, um, did you by any um, chance notice what the gender split was of people working in his team? In iPlayer? Yeah. It's a very good... Um, it's a very, very good um, uh, a split, actually. Because mm-hmm. actually working in BBC iPlayer... Was one has been one of the most um, modern ways of working, and I've seen a lot of um, I've seen a lot of things there, very positive things that I have not seen as much in the rest of the organisation. It's not to say that there's anything wrong with what they're doing in the rest of the organisation, because I'm sure they've got their reasons for doing things. Well, the way when that they I do. worked here, uh, there was. Um one possibly two teams I worked in which were almost entirely women and I've never experienced that in any other job so I think that the BBC in that sense in my own personal experience Mm. was really really good and also there were that not only were they women they were women from all over the world and with all different races so that was that you know that's the way way it should be as well um Uh, but the BBC has 19,000 staff and when you watch the things on TV and I love a good um, uh, Sunday night drama, mm. most of the time you're still seeing more white faces, I'd say. And I'd, uh, it's moving more. The content is definitely getting more female focused. Um I think the BBC... Is it, yeah? yeah? I think so, because they have yeah. things like Motherland out at the moment, and then they had um, Fleabag. But again, mm-hmm. like they were a little bit edgier and comedy. Mm-hmm. But then you also have Have I Got News For You, it's, and that's, yeah. that, that kind of panel, old-fashioned comedy, mm-hmm. everything that happened with Joe Brown yeah. and everyone else on Have I Got News For mm-hmm. You were mm-hmm. male comedians, Bill Thien, Hislop, or Burton. And they were um, uh, not taking... Uh, an, an incident of harassment very seriously because in the wake of the oh, yes, Weinstein so, yeah, gate yeah. and then she took them all to task and there have been a lot of complaints about mm. her doing that and I saw what she said yeah. and I think all she was saying was you should be taking this more seriously as the only yeah. woman here yeah, I feel like yeah. I should draw your attention to yeah, it yeah, sure. but I thought that was very interesting mm, that absolutely, that yeah. says more about the viewership about the number of complaints I think it was the most complaints they've had in a long time for any individual programme when it goes over I think 100 complaints they have to publish. Um, they have more complaints for for that, from a woman saying something which I personally completely yeah, agreed yeah. with, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. than any of the other stuff that goes on. 
Yeah, some of this is not high-level crime, is it? No, <laughs> Compared no, to, say, no, no, Putin no, or Trump. <laughs> but yeah. okay, if I can just say, as the only representative yes. of the female gender here today, I, I know it's not high-level, but it doesn't have to be high-level for women to feel under siege in somewhere like the House of Commons. And actually, for women, if you're constantly being harassed, even in a small way, that, that builds up. Anyone else? Um, so I know I was saying there was a, there was there were some women which there are some women. <laughs> but the one I was actually the other person I was going to uh, is a man. It's another man, I'm afraid, <laughs> and he's no longer alive. But he Aww. is a huge idol, actually, a huge inspiration. Uh, Christopher Hitchens. Ah, yes, uh, yes. I absolutely love his journalism, mm -hmm. and uh, I love his writing. Um, I love his kind of like his his when, when the kind of recordings I've seen him speak. Him speak. Unfortunately, I never got to go to a kind of. Um, a talk of his. No. But I, he's, he's a huge inspiration as well. Yeah. And his work lives on. It does work. So there is on, that. And I'm, which I'm very pleased about. I mean, I, I love reading his work and I love listening to kind of the, the talks he's given and um, the programmes that he's taking part of, the sort of debates he has, he has um, participated in. Um, yeah, so that's another inspiration. So he was your inspiration. Oh, no, no, but I think that's interesting because a role model should be someone you you look up to, mm. and but you're but you're looking at him and it, and you're looking at him and Adam Curtis, yeah, and you're looking at what they do and yeah. how they do it, yeah, and how you respect that yeah, and that's right, would yeah. like to emulate so, that, yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that fair to say? That's very fair. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with having male role models this no. isn't like um, you know no, if it's no. not but, uh, but what i would ask as a as a follow-up to that yeah. is do you think that you don't have immediate female role models spring to mind because there aren't as many people doing the kind of work that maybe hitchens yeah. and curtis were doing yeah i've got to be honest in terms of what they are doing there aren't as many women being as strong as that as they are in fact on top of my head, I can't think of someone who's doing right. exactly what something as good as what Christopher Hitchens was doing, yeah. and being as progressive and being as articulate, being as forward-thinking and as controversial in one. I can't think of the female doing that. What about Margaret Atwood? I like, I like, I like the the work that I'm familiar with. And that's obviously ha she's having mm. a yeah like a renaissance. Not that yeah. she ever went away, but um, you know, it's very timely mm. in a post-Trump era. Yeah, yeah. Um, with things like Alias Grace is now mm. on TV, and um, it's good. I like it. In terms of, I mean, kind of actually female role models in terms of writing and journalism. Mm -hmm. I mean, someone who's been a huge inspiration throughout my life is Sylvia Plath. Yes. I mean, that's just someone that I keep going back to. Just um. Again, no longer alive. No, but that's a okay. shame. I'd like to produce more, but I love, I do love everything that she wrote. Yeah. Like, I love the kind of story. It was obviously a sad story. Her life story is a yeah. sad one, but I, lo I, I, I love it. And I love Belle Jar. Yeah. Know, and the poetry. There's um, going to be a new film of it. Um, oh, Kirsten Dunst. I think oh, she is, right. I, I think, yeah, that. she's directing it and she might be starring in it Brilliant. too. So there you go, you're not the only person that oh, thinks yeah. that. So yeah, yeah, we've got a woman there. Um. <laughs> Lady Lazarus. I have done it again. One year in every ten I manage it. A sort of walking miracle. My skin bright as a Nazi lampshade. My right foot a paperweight. My face a featureless 
fine Jew linen. Peel off the napkin, oh my enemy. Do I terrify? Yes, yes, Herr Professor, it is I. Can you deny the nose, the eye pits, the full set of teeth? The sour breath will vanish in a day. Soon, soon the flesh the grave cave ate will be at home on me, and I a smiling woman. I'm only 30, and like the cat, I have nine times to die. Let's move now to film before we get to the Bechdel test and whether we want to change it by virtue of our conversation today. Um, So what are your favourite films and TV programmes that speak to you and why? Um, The Double Lives of Veronique um, by the Polish film director Krzysztof Kieslowski. And that's a film, the first time I saw it is, is actually many years ago. But it's just a film that I can't forget ever, and I've watched it so many times. Um, it's a very beautiful film, both, I mean, in terms of the way it's filmed, but also the actual story is very beautiful. Um, it's kind of poetic. Um, and that, the first time I watched it, I remember, like, touched me deeply. Um, very, very, very sort of emotionally driven film. Um, incredible acting. Um, it's just made a very, very strong impression on me. Um, and the other films that Krzysztof Kozlowski um, has made, uh, they also are also hugely interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, did he do the Three Colours? He did the Three Trilogy. Colours, yeah. and they were kind of more. They became more mainstream than, yeah. than his, the, the rest of his work. And you've decided um, that's a bad thing. Oh, here's your class system coming. In. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love them. I love, I love three colours, yes. actually. Um, but it brought him to wider attention. Yeah, Although that did, film's yeah. pretty famous. Veronique's pretty it's famous, too. famous, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, um, it was well, a, certainly in film circles. So, it is, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, the three colours, I love that as well. I love them as well. I saw them several times as mm-hmm. well. And um, it's just very sort of thematic, <laughs> beautiful filming. And again, we're talking about a male director, a male director. but female characters quite very prominent strong, on yeah. screen. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he, he, I think the, it's particularly the double life of Veronique, it's, mm-hmm. very, it's a very feminine film. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess he is a male director, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. What I'm looking at is... Um, Sorry, it's a male No, you don't need, oh my God, I'm just beating people up on the podcast. How dare you not choose women? <gasps> Uh, no, I think that, what, um, I, I've said this on previous episodes, yeah, 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 that... Yeah. Um, uh, I think that there are so many more films made by and starring men. Mm. How can you possibly not mm. be exposed to them? Yeah, yeah. What I want to do is us to get to a place where there are more women, so you've got more to choose from. Yeah, There's yeah. absolutely nothing wrong mm. with liking films. No, no. Um, directed by men, no, and no, also um, Alexander, by the way. Though, yeah, go go. <laughs> to meet um, my demographic, yeah, thank you, Susan. <laughs> so I love the Danish uh, political drama series uh, Baldwin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. Um, the Brits pronounce it Baldwin. Yeah, it's actually pronounced Baldwin. Baldwin. Yeah, that's oh, how you say it. I never knew um, that. That was I absolutely loved that, and I've watched it several times. Several kind of all, all the seasons. Yes, I think it's a very very strong series, and and that again it was kind of there were several things about it that I loved. Um, really great acting, very, very good storyline. 
very contemporary and it, it says something interesting about Danish society, which I think a lot of people can ultimately learn from. The fact that it is a female who becomes the Prime Minister. Yeah. And it, the whole story is sensitive. It's her that. journey. Yeah, yeah, it's her journey. Um, I think that's hugely important. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I really love I really love, love it. Do you think part of the reason why you like it is because this is something new? Because you're like, mm. well, and also because it's Denmark, so there's that. Yeah, you know, there, the there, Danish there is kind of Danish connection yeah. to it that, that, that kept me interested and kept yeah. me passionate about it. But yeah, I guess it's, it is something new to have a TV series about it. Because I also really enjoy House of Cards, which mm -hmm. is obviously original to the British one, but then yes. the American version is the one I've been watching. and. I, I love that as well. Yeah. So I guess there isn't part of, part of my fascination is to do yeah. with the kind of the fact that it's political drama, mm -hmm. not whether it's a man or, or female. But the House of Cards, do you like it? Yeah, Have you watched all of the seasons? Yeah, what, all of the American ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because um, the way that's moving towards it being Robin Wright's story as mm, much that's right. as it's Kevin Spacey's. Mm, that's very true. Um, mm. Because I got a little irate the other day when I think Netflix said they were potentially cancelling. I think they, they decided to stop filming. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. I, I noticed and I tweeted about it and quite a few other people did mm, um, mm. with the comment that just because you don't want Kevin Spacey in it anymore, it does not mean you have to get rid of an entire series. Mm. Now, I do understand that Frank yeah, Underwood yeah. is a linchpin character yeah. and is so you know you, you, so you hate him so much you love him kind of thing yeah, I always yeah. think about um have you ever watched house yeah yeah, yeah it's yeah, that yeah, kind exactly. of character yeah, where yeah. he's awful and he's conforming to all these stereotypes but he's just so watchable but I I think that the Netflix writer director producer team so you have David Fincher in yeah. there somewhere um have been leaning towards having more female characters because mm. you have Nev Campbell's character yeah, now right. is yeah. in it. Um, quite a prominent yeah, character. you've had um, quite a few um, uh, um, Secretary of State and other ministers and, mm. and people like that. True. And the more you watch House of Cards, I think the more it becomes you're not looking at gender, mm. but you're putting those you're putting women mm. in roles that are just roles. It's just. Mm someone who adds the plot now fair enough if you're having a relationship between characters and you know it's heterosexual relationships you normally have to have you know you have to have yeah. a female character somewhere and so therefore you have to bring her in and put her in the environs so that your male character can have a relationship with them such as in the early seasons with zoe um you know having yeah. the affair with frank um but i think that house of cards is a really good example of um, a program that uses gender to the point where you don't notice it. Mm -hmm. And Robin Wright's character is incredibly strong mm. and yet feminine. I have a I, I don't I don't want to ever get to a point where being feminine is a negative mm. quality. Or um I'm trying to think of like I was going to say, we need more men to be feminine. I don't know whether that's the right phrase to use, because every what other every other that? synonym, every mm. other synonym I can think of is it just shows you how ingrained in language gender differences are. Mm. Like I was going to say, softer, and I, and I think more emotional. Mm. And again, these are all qualities where we've just decided that women are more emotional and soft, and mm. men are harder and less yeah. emotional. Yeah. Um, 
And it's almost as if the, the first step is to bring the women into these roles with slightly different characteristics to maybe a male playing that role mm-hmm. and then getting to a point where the characteristics are about the character and not about typical characteristics of the gender mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. character. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, it does indeed. Yeah, Actually, so I mean, that's, I agree with you in, it, in, in, in everything you've said there. Um, oh, that's good. Keep <laughs> that bit in. <laughs> you know, kind of like, it, it, it should be about the characters and it should be about who's most suited for them to play them as well. Again, I'm acting as a person who needs to be educated. No, I am a person who needs to be educated. <laughs> so in terms of like being South Korean, so are you looking out for people who look like you on screen? Would you watch something if you'd found out about it that had somebody in yeah i, I definitely yeah. would look look and be interested <coughs> in, in a in a say that was a new american drama being launched on netflix coming out on netflix and i had read there was a south korean actor in that yes i would definitely be interested yeah i have almost become accustomed to not being represented in the media so it's it's almost like it's not really even an issue because of that, because I've never been used to seeing people looking no. like myself. Um, it's only if I go specifically, I guess, to South Korean films, of course, that's yes. very different. But I'd have to go, go and, and look for that to get, to get people looking like me, I guess, in mm-hmm. film. Because um, then I, you kind of mirror yourself in uh, people who are Chinese or Japanese, I guess. Yeah, I was just going to say Which then, is, so how do you feel about that? Because I can just imagine uneducated idiots saying... Oh, we've cast a Japanese person in this mm. thing that'll appeal to the Asians like there's certainly a kind of there's a generic thing mm. there but are you are, are you still happy to see someone who might be Taiwanese or Chinese or Japanese yeah, yeah. because you'd still feel like there's a modicum of representation yeah I mean I'm not too oh, I, yeah yes I, I would be happy with that I'm not too fussed about whether it's a Japanese person a Chinese person or a an Indonesian person, a uh, Taiwanese. Um, Even though that's all very different looking people with mm, different experiences. Absolutely. But is that more that kind of you're sick of it? So you're like, well, this is the absolute bottom line, at least if there's somebody who might be geographically from that area. See, this is what I worry about. That's, probably, that's what you said actually, earlier. Yeah, Times probably. are so tough. Yeah, I mean, because I've never not been used to seeing it much growing up in uh, Scandinavia. Yes. It is almost like default that you don't even think about it. So yeah, as long as there was someone represented there who was um, of a Southeast Asian, Southeast Asian origin, then you'd be I'd be quite happy. But then I've also been kind of like in a, in a similar way, equally like I've been quite open about the sort of Scandinavians. I mean, some people, I've, I know the Brits are very um, well. They seem to me as if they care a lot. It, it, it's, there's a huge difference between English and Scottish and Welsh and Northern <laughs> yeah. Irish. Whereas for me, like, are you Swedish or are you Danish or Norwegian? I don't, they're all Scandinavian, you know. You I, don't have a problem if a, you're mistaken for another one. I don't. Okay. I mean, I never get angry. I've never get angry. That's I'm annoyed about it. Do you think that's because you've got the baseline problem, though, with racism by virtue of who it you are? It might be, actually. Yeah. It might be to do with that. Because I don't have the issue, so I wonder if that's... Because I get very annoyed, and this is awful, and it just shows you, like, first world problems versus... Well, no, it's, yours is still a first world problem, but, um, you know, my white woman problems, let's say, which is that 
in America particularly, which is obviously the centre of the movie-making world, they will always say, someone's British. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, are they from Leeds? Are they from Cornwall? Are they from Glasgow? It's like British is this generic term where we're so, where I'm like, well, I'm from the Southeast and I have this accent, but I don't, I don't speak in received pronunciation. It's like, I get very annoyed by people who've got like, what well, my accent is kind of estuary and you don't often see that in any way mm. because I think American movie makers and goers think that uh-huh. everyone's that goes back to class yeah, yeah. everyone's either really really posh or some kind of cockney <laughs> and it's like uh, they're, they're uh, nothing in the middle yeah, sure. but that but that's easy for me to complain about because I haven't got anything else to worry about do you see what I mean? Like, you aren't even seeing people who look and sound like you yeah, yeah. on screen. And that's really interesting that you, you're you not even bothered if you got mistaken for another part of Scandinavia. Do you think that's a general Scandinavian thing? Do you think that other Danish, Swedish, um, Norwegian people feel like that? I do feel that generally, this is very general. I have, I have yeah. heard some people differ, Scandinavian people differ on this, have, have different views. But generally speaking, there is a greater sense of community. Um, in the, in Scandinavia, I mean, people are happy to um, call, them, very, call themselves yeah, Scandinavian, like Norwegian yeah. Scandinavian. I mean, of course, it gets very competitive when there's like games, like say football games, on between Denmark versus Sweden. That is a huge deal. Yeah, but again, it's still very friendly. Mm. It's not. It doesn't. It doesn't. The way I see, it doesn't get aggressive. It doesn't get unfriendly or horrible. Um, there's no hooligan. I mean, there's no never been mm. a hooligan culture, for instance, in Denmark or Scandinavia. Yeah. Um, I, I thought the Scandinavia had quite a racial problem, though. I like <laughs> to think that it's not about racism in Scandinavia. It is more about not having been used to seeing right. seeing things as much. They've not been used to having. They've not grown up with um, a huge population of black people, for instance. Yes, it's a fact. So I think if you've never been much, if you haven't been exposed to it much, it's more about not being unused and accustomed to it. And maybe because of that, there's maybe a sense of discomfort and maybe lack of understanding. Well, I think you've hit, that's like racism, you've hit the nail of racism on the head. Do you think that um, in your experience of culture and um, uh, the arts, do do you think there are more people of colour of various different races represented in the UK versus Scandinavia, as you're quite well versed in. Yeah, but definitely much more kind of, yeah, it's more diverse in the UK. Um, because, I mean, in Scandinavia, the, you don't, there isn't, um, it isn't, it isn't multicultural. I mean, you do get, um, for instance, Thai, people from Thailand, you do get people from Greenland in Denmark as well. You get a small percentage of black people but it is a very small percentage. So because yeah. of that, naturally, the percentage of people working in the arts or working in media would be quite low. Yeah. And also in front of the, uh, yeah, in front yeah, of the camera. It is. Yeah. Actors and actresses. Yeah. 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 In terms of gender then, mm-hmm. what about the differences, again, in your opinion, mm-hmm. about women on screen and perhaps behind the camera, Scandinavian versus it is British and American, we can say, cinema. Mm-hmm. I don't know the numbers, yeah. but... Uh, <laughs> I'm not quizzing you, just... Minor detail. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But my guess is that it would be much closer to being 50-50 again in media. Um, I mean, like, through the magazine uh, writing work I've done for the film and TV magazine, I've, yeah. I've come across there's so many women that I was speaking to when I made contact to production companies, really? so many women. Um, so my, from based on that, and I've known, and I know a couple of female directors as well, just, just based on the work I've been doing last year. Um, so based, just based on that, I, I, I would say, yeah, it's much more equal. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's let's look at the Bechdel test now. So the test is there have to be two women on screen, named characters, we like now like to say, because um, historically it's a lot of girl, wife, don't have a surname. That still happens. That irritates me all the time. Two named characters who are named in the credits talking on screen to each other about something other than a man. So basically, I've looked at this in terms of lots and lots of films, and there are some absolutely brilliant films which are really good for, you know, showing women on screen that fail this test. And there are also, um, there, are, there are lots of films which are, frankly, in my opinion, terrible and, like, not very good for women that pass it. So I'm looking at whether we need to tweak the test. So firstly, what do you think about the test? My, when I read about it, my impression was, to be very honest, I couldn't really see how that could be an, an indicator of whether something is reflecting um, society the way it should in terms of equalities and, fem, and, and feminism, etc. I couldn't really see why the kind of topic, for instance, why, why that, why that if, if they weren't, if it was two women discussing... Um, other topics than what you just mentioned, like why that was more feminist and more why there was more reflective and more correct. I didn't quite understand that. For me, it's because it's interesting because if you cannot pass this test, mm. then that means that the female characters on screen are only there to service the male characters. If they're not talking to each other, that means there probably aren't enough on screen. Mm. If they're not talking about a man... Mm. It's sort of, if they are, are talking about man, then they're only servicing someone who is maybe considered more important or the, you know, the focus of the plot. Whereas if you have them talking about, I always say two cops, like talking about their job or mm. two members of a family talking about their hopes and desires or, I don't know, two killers talking about what they're going to do next. But the fact that so many films fail it mm. means that, there aren't enough women on screen, and when they are on screen, they're not there for their own reasons. They're there because we live in a mostly heterosexual wor world where it's like um, um, women are here for to play a love interest or to have children mm. or to be the mother of children, to be a family member. So that's why I, I like the test in the first instance, mm -hmm. um, because... If it passes the test, you can show there's at least one scene where that happened. Uh, but should there not be more criteria? Then? I mean, I, yes. I, I accept that some of these some, that these criteria probably uh, they will be indicators, but there probably needs to be it needs to be extended, doesn't it? Absolutely. This is where you come in. <laughs> so um, there are other tests in terms of race. There's one called. Do you know the director Ava DuVernay? Yeah. Who, yeah. So. Um, 
there a couple of writers, I think in the New York Times, came up with a test, which was called the Duvernay test, which was exactly the same, except there were two non-white people named characters who talk to each other on screen about something other than a white character. Mm. So that's a really good one. And I'm pretty certain that most films um, that don't have predominantly um, a black, let's say, or a, a person of colour cast fail this way more than the Bechdel test because, as you were saying earlier, race is the is part of the problem, possibly a greater problem on film than gender. So... I'm speaking my language. Yeah. Um, so that's good. I like that. I'm glad. I never said that. It, that wasn't the case. It's just my my original remit yeah, is, sure. is women. Mm, and I think sure. I'm naive because it's so much more complicated mm, than that. Mm, so if we're trying to keep to the Bechdel test, yeah. do we want to have two named female characters who aren't white does that work talking about something other than a white man i don't think in terms of the race thing it matters whether it's a man or a woman okay yes no very good point yep doesn't matter it could be a a male two males or it could be male and a female yes the black say they are black and asian yeah um um that's so that's so a that's, sep- that's yeah, a separate, separate test. Thing, no, yeah. but that's that's separate good. Test, yeah. But if we if we had but would it be even better? It would probably be even better. If it yeah. would be two women. We should talk about disability. Yeah. yeah. So that's another one we haven't even touched on. Yeah. We we've looked at gender, we've looked at class, we've looked at race, yeah. and probably the other one in the horrible big four that we're talking about yeah. here is disability. Yeah. And that that the lack of representation mm. on film of someone who, yeah. in fact, even I don't even know if we we shouldn't be using the word disabled. This yeah. is this is the changing times we yeah, live yeah. in. That, I, don't know, that, the, the I don't term. I don't know which says it at all. I'm a person. Able body or yeah. What's the other one? Yeah, now? I don't know. Yeah. It's because we have yeah, a, a definition of normality yeah. as being not disabled. I'm going to use the phrase disabled because yeah, I can't. I haven't got anything yeah. better at this stage, and Fair I don't mean enough. to be offensive. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah like. I don't know if you can think of a film that has two people of colour who are both women. One or both of them has some kind of impairment. Um, Physical impairment? No, because, like, I don't know. There are probably plenty Mm. of characters who are psychopaths or depressed or, you know, um, uh, schizophrenic um, talking to each other about something Mm. so yeah i I think defining disability or whatever word we're going to use Mm. is part of the issue there yeah absolutely um yeah well well, i do believe that there aren't enough film films or even books for that matter um that deal with the issue of disability in a in a in a meaningful way um I'm actually struggling to think of it of any films on top of my head, but there, there is bound to be a, a small percentage of but it's not mm-hmm. a theme that that gets dealt with very very much at all. This is a good example of intersectionality and how every individual has their own experience. Mm-hmm. So you and I, we sit mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. we can't think of a film that meets all of those tests, mm-hmm. partly mm-hmm. because we're not disabled. I think because I think that when you Mm. Uh, as you as South Korean, mm. I bet you you 
you can yeah. see someone who's South Korean in on a TV show, like a shot, mm-hmm. it will register with you because it's someone that looks like you. And that's been, you know, scientifically shown mm-hmm. the psychology. You will be able to recognize that person. I probably won't as quickly. And I'm surrounded by white people on, um, mm-hmm. uh, on camera. Um, we probably might well recognize a woman mm-hmm. and we might well recognize if it's someone who we think sounds like us or has had a similar mm-hmm. experience. So I think that, we've shown there that your experience is that you have never been discriminated against because of disability. Mm. And so therefore you probably aren't looking out for it. Like the vast majority of mm. us. Yeah. I um, guess it's actually, now I can think of, I guess I can think of an example <laughs> now that we are talking about, I guess, but um, Silent Witness. Yes. One of the scientists has got a disability. Yes. And she's a recurrent character. Yeah. Well, here at the BBC, yeah. they're absolutely brilliant. Yeah. about that so yeah. i think that thank god for mm. for that yeah there's one series there's one tv series that i absolutely adore to be quite honest which i haven't mentioned it the americans i have watched every single episode several times it is one of my all-time favorite series uh, tv series and um i love but there's several things about it that i love i mean i love the kind of chemistry between the, the, the couple i love Films about I love dramas about espionage as well, mm-hmm. and I think the Russian and American sort of um, contrast is absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it is quite violent. It is quite fast, really fast paced, um, and it's probably in it has probably the stories are exaggerated. The story is exaggerated, but I that is um, that is something that I absolutely adore. I love that series as well. And you have two protagonists, one male, one female, mm-hmm. and they probably have, in my opinion, equal screen time and both have um, individual personalities, yeah. individual experiences. They're both strong and devious. Yeah. Um, and I think that within reason, it, mm-hmm. either one of them can be carrying the storyline of only one episode mm, yeah. because I think when you're involved in espionage you use what you have available in order to do Mm. what you do because I think both of them for example have sex with people in order to uh to to get what what they need yeah Yeah, and that's and that's that's Mm. um in studies I've investigated Mm. um in the history of film and certainly in the last 10 to 15 years um women are more likely to be shown in sex scenes when they're on screen like a third as likely as a man so and that's because one because there are more men on camera so like when women are on camera there's less of them to start with so the the statistics get skewed but two it's because women are often on screen for a sexual reason or um if there's an opportunity for them to be shown in a bra and pants, it might happen. So I think in America, in the Americans, I think it's a really good example of where they're both involved. They're both treated by the directors and the writers mm. identically in terms of what they're willing to do in order to yeah. Um, yeah, get what they want. And I don't think when you watch it, you ever feel that uh, Kerry Russell is in any way put in any situation that any other character. No, I, yes. I, 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 I feel like it's not have you heard about the male and the female gaze uh, yeah yeah so I feel like that's not a show that's necessarily just the male no no gaze no, it, it isn't 
and and I mean, so, so you they are both put through um, the same at different times. Yeah, and, the, and um, so she is very violent at times, and he is equally violent at other times. Yeah. They are both emotional at different times as well. Um, and they're so, both shown parenting. They have their two kids, yeah. and and that's a boy and girl child yeah. as well. So we've got a full yeah. nuclear family there. <laughs> And the neighbours again, like you've got them represent as well the kids. Yeah. Um, so, and you've had other spies, and um, because Margot Martindale was in it, and she was, um, yeah, she was a what, like yeah. a handler yeah. or well, what I've have you. Yeah, and a couple of other people in the um, in the embassies and yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. And again, it is also a period drama because it's mm-hmm. set in the eighties. So, yeah. I think mm-hmm. that previously I've. I've been speaking to people about historical nature. So if you're writing or filming a biopic, then it's harder to make things pass the Bechdel test if what actually happened involved more men of course, than women. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I went to a screenwriting workshop mm. and one of the screenwriters said, mm. when you're writing something, even if you're writing it in the past, you're writing it about now. And that really stayed with me because I didn't think that was always the case. But I think the American shows how... Yeah. Yeah, example of that's true. That's very interesting, incredibly interesting. Yeah. Why can't you just put more women on camera? If you write well enough and you direct it well enough, it should be exactly the same and you pass the Bechdel test. Who told you to do it? The pastor? His wife? No one. Stop protecting them. I'm not protecting anybody. Why do you think I can't make my own decisions? You know why? Because it's a stupid decision. And you're not stupid, Paige. You were saving that money to go to Europe. Well, it's going to better use What there. use? Do you know what they're using that money for? They're feeding refugees, building houses. You guys don't help anyone. We help you. We, we help you and we helped you save that money. Please do not roll your eyes at me. You can show me some respect. Paige, you started lying to us? I didn't lie. Well, you certainly don't seem to know the difference. Do you? And in a TV series, you've got more chance of yeah. um, passing. In a film, yeah, you only to pass the test, you only need to have one scene. And so another aspect of expanding the test would be, why does it have to be just one scene? Or the scene has to be of a certain length. Yeah. Or the scene has to be implicit to the plot. Mm. These are all things that I would add in. Yeah. Um, the Americans is different because it's a very long-running TV mm. show. Yeah, so yeah. I suppose for that, I would say it passes the Bechdel test if in every single episode, or the majority of episodes, you have Bechdel passing scenes and that's where tv can help further this cause for me and i also think it can help with the intersection of other areas Mm. of discrimination because um when you have large casts and i can think of the top of my head lost and the walking Mm. dead you have much more free reign Mm. to have different types of people shown My turn. To sum up, in terms of if we're working on the Bechdel test, how would you like, what, what test would you like to be applied? To well, I'd like the, the, the sort of to capture the racial aspect and in achieving equality on that front. Um, and then I would like to see it also looking at class and educational background, et cetera, and achieving um, some 
um, balance on that, some more of a balance on that front, and having that reflected in the test. Whether it would have to be a separate test could be an aspect of the test, I guess, might, which might need to be done separately. Yeah. But in a way, why, why couldn't it, the kind of the, the, the Becknell test integrate these, these, mm -hmm. these different areas? Um, and then I guess disability, as we have touched upon, mm -hmm. um, is also an important um, area. Um, yeah, so we need to come up with a kind of catch-all, really, mm -hmm. which is because you, you get into the position where you might be ticking boxes because the last thing we want is for a woman to appear on screen or, or someone with a disability um, or, dare I say it, tokenism when it comes to race. Um, it on screen where someone is just on there just to take oh, yeah. a box I mean what I will say I mean above all of the, everything we've talked about now I mean I think the story's got to drive this I mean the story is what um, is the, should, form, should form the base of any TV drama any documentary um, so depending on where the story goes that should that is what should determine who should appear in a drama or in a film um, so that might mean then writers and producers yeah, yeah. need to look at the demographic mix of those. I can tell you that it, uh, in another test I looked at, it was only 7%, um, a study I looked at, it was only 7% of directors were women. And in terms of, God, people of colour, women, Jesus, like less than one percent there's quite a famous infographic and it's like have you ever seen it with the pictures of men so it's like an outline of a man and then it has and it shows all the percentages of like how many men at the moment making movies in hollywood let's say are white men and then men of um other races and then women and then women of other races and that's yeah we'd need to have more women non-white women telling their stories yeah and disabled people telling their stories as well absolutely you often have um mm. like the Stephen Hawking aspect mm. which is that and that's a very positive and, and that's mm. a really really good film that's a positive story but it is about someone who became disabled and then did all these amazing scientific things despite being disabled which already labels it as a negative thing and whether motor neuron disease is is what you call disabled anyway, I don't know. Who's in a wheelchair? So, yeah, is it actually a disability? I mean, I think it is in the sense that he can't, you know, walk himself or feed himself and things like that. So it would be, but um, mm. yeah, where does that lie? It's an illness, I guess. It's an illness that becomes a disability. Yes, yeah. 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 But there's this whole despite. Yeah, aspect yeah, yeah. I can do this despite where I think is a terribly negative turn on hmm. and I'm sure actually I mean I'd imagine a lot of people wouldn't want to be seen in that way no. they, they would want to think that well I am just great what you know I am great it's not about whether it's not it's not despite it is I am just great in myself with I'm black, I'm great, I'm in a wheelchair, you know, I've got a disability, but I'm really great. Yeah. And I am really great. Or not, not, yeah, not even it's, the it's but. Not, it's just, I am great. If you want yeah. a descriptor of me, yeah. this is it. So when you have a script, it can say this person disabled and maybe, you know, label what it is. Mm -hmm. And then they behave 
in exactly the same way yeah. as anyone else to the extent that it's possible. Obviously, if you have someone in a wheelchair, you've got to build that into the plot. Yeah. Yeah. But people look at that as a hindrance and I think they're not thinking cleverly enough. Yeah. I was watching a Danish documentary actually uh, on uh, the Danish art equivalent of the iPlayer like, a couple of weeks ago and it's about this a girl who's obese and it's a, it sort of shows her kind of in, in lots of situations in life. She's trying to find a boyfriend. She is sort of going about shopping, clothes shopping. Um, what, what can she buy? What can she um, wear? And also, what does she eat? So it kind of focuses on areas like that. And that was also an interesting program to watch. Um, yeah, where we're putting that, because I'm loath to call that a disability, because I don't know how anybody would no, feel about that but no, it no. does feel like another I, intersection yeah I, I, would, I, I was gonna say it's um i don't in any way see it as a disability no but i don't know what um, you'd call it because it, she it has discrimination yeah. based on it and, and i guess there's an argument in a way that that something like that should be represented represented in the test as well That'll be another one, because I, I don't want to be flippant about it. I think that's very important that people aren't represented. I've got so many feelings about anorexia and bulimia uh, and how that's normalised on film that I can't even begin to know, start been, talking about it. So yeah. much. Heavily been no, but no, no, that's not even what I'm saying. Oh. I'm talking about having people on screen mm. who obviously are underweight and people all treating them as if they are of a normal weight. Mm. I think, unfortunately, the problem with being overweight is that everybody can see it and everyone has a kind of... They all have a different um, scale of what you consider overweight. But, you know, if someone is clinically obese, let's say, everyone can generally see it and you don't look like everybody else and so therefore you look different. Whereas the problem with the Hollywood machine, at least, is that uh, there are plenty of people who are all pretending that everybody looks this skinny Mm. yeah perhaps if there were shows where everybody Mm. was of a normal weight or slightly overweight depending on your scale of reference every single cast then you would normalize it in that way and i think the world is kind of moving towards that because the world is, is getting fatter but what i worry about is that it's the normalization of people being underweight what was the program called it's something about the fat, it's like the translation is something like the fat girl. It's her name and then the fat girl. So that's really, yeah, so, so basically yeah. the whole point of the programme is she is defined yeah. by her weight. Yeah, she is. And, but and, but yeah. the point of it is is to show, is it to hold a mirror up and show her experiences? Well, actually, this changes throughout. At other times she's convincing herself that everything is fine. I'm sorry, is it fiction? It's, it's a documentary. It's a documentary, I think it's two parts from memory. I mean, it does seem to, um, she, there is a lot of, um, she's quite depressed and she's very disappointed about her experiences in love and she's trying to find a boyfriend. She goes on Tinder and stuff like that. She meets several guys and she has some sexual encounters, but none of it really seems to lead to anything more long-term and, and a proper relationship, which is actually what, what she really wants. And in so, the documentary, does it suggest that it's because of her weight? It does seem to suggest that. Although what I and maybe even to this right now I'm, I'm unsure whether it's it's her because she believes that deep down that's that is that becomes reality because she believes she isn't good enough that sort of sense of ha- having that sense that lack of confidence 
that somehow projects gets projected onto the other person mm -hmm. and the lack the lack of belief the lack of positivity kind of almost ruins it proper i guess there's um self self-fulfilled prop prophecy i don't know if that's what's what's going on here because i guess to an extent i do i do believe that that often happens in real life if you don't have enough belief in yourself no one else is going to believe in you either thank you so much for this i really appreciate no, God, it no, you're welcome um, this, this was really interesting yeah yeah glad you thought so i think i'm a bit I'm, depressed I'm actually, now yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually a feminist by the way yes i've got it <laughs> recorded Thank you so much to Susan Hansen and I know that we didn't deal with LGBTQ in this so I just wanted to acknowledge this. I also included a reference to The West Wing where Ainsley Hayes discusses the Equal Rights Act at the beginning of the podcast and that's because sometimes we all have to listen to things and we think we know what our opinion is and then something changes our mind and that's how I felt about this episode. The music that played earlier and is going to play us out is from the Train to Busan, Busan Heng soundtrack, which is a really good South Korean film. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Bye.